You are listening to the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc. You guys are way too kind to us. Thank you so much. I said this this morning, but I just want to reiterate this, that it is a privilege to be with one of our partnering churches in ministry. Uh, As missionaries, we could not be uh, where we are without the financial and the prayer support from churches like this. And so, uh, again, everything that we have seen happen in Alaska, uh, you guys are every bit a part, every bit as big of a part of it as what we get to be. And so, uh, thank you for being part of lives being changed in Alaska. And if you ever want to come, uh, don't ever hesitate to let us know. There's lots to do. Uh, we, uh, uh, and, and in fact, it was funny, uh, Drew mentioned the, the ends of the earth. There's actually a Yupik word for that, uh, and they named a village after it because it's literally so far out from everybody else, they named the village the end of the earth. Isn't that amazing? All right, I'm going to teach you the word, all right? It's Nunam Akla, all right? And you got a halkaloogie on the hich of the part, all right? So say it with me. One, two, three. Nunam Ikla. There it is. And so they just call it Nunam for short because uh, the Ikla thing is really hard for all the white people to say. Uh, but uh, it literally means it's you pick for the edge of the earth. I've been there. Uh, and it's one of the places in Alaska that has no church and no pastor. And so uh, as you think of us in Alaska, as you think of us um, in what seemingly seems like Nunamakwa, right? Uh, pray for the actual village of Nunamakwa because we are believing that someday uh, there's going to be some Chi Alpha, uh, former Chi Alpha students being missionaries in that village. Amen? All right, cool. Well, hey, I don't want to preach long tonight. I know that everybody comes to Sunday night eager uh, not to listen to Steve, but to spend time in the Lord's presence. Amen? Are we hungry for that? All right, good, 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 good. I hope you're hungry because we're going to jump into that as quickly as we can. But I want to jump into the word this evening. And I want us to look at something a little bit, maybe a little bit obscure. Uh, I, you maybe have never heard a, a message preached from the book of Leviticus before, uh, but we're going to Leviticus. Turn to your neighbor and say, buckle up. Here we go. All right. We're going to Leviticus because I think that it's actually really cool to look back at the Old Testament. Sometimes the Old Testament gets a bad rap, but I think we can kind of uh, start to realize kind of where we've come from as a people, as followers of Christ, when we look back at some of the basic principles of the Old Testament and apply them even to our life today, right? Uh, We have a a picture of, can you put that baseball photo up? Uh, This is my favorite video game, all right? This is RBI Baseball circa 1987, all right? This is on, anybody remember the regular NES? Four of us. Awesome. Way to go. All right. Uh, This was my favorite baseball game. It still is my favorite baseball game. We got Don Mattingly going up against Nolan Ryan, for goodness sakes, and this guy, or in this uh, screenshot. And the, the reason I show this is because really when we look back at the old things of our lives, we realize kind of where we've come from. And when we look back at the Old Testament, we realize the freedom that we have in Jesus, but we also can look back and say, well, some of the same principles apply. Even though the graphics are terrible, it's still baseball. You pitch the ball, you hit the ball, right? 
And this, I mean, yeah, this was the first sporting game to ever actually have uh, actual statistics affect gameplay within the game. It's a fun fact for you. It's nerding out there. I'm not actually much of a gamer, but I am a sports guy. Oh, and the Vikings won today, in case you were wondering. All right? Miracles happen. We have a miracle-working God. Uh, We really do. All right, anyways, we got to get into this. All right, I told you we'd be in a hurry tonight to get into the presence of God, so I got to stay true to my word. We're going to look at the book of Leviticus, and we're going to look at some of the things God commanded us to do so that we can kind of understand how to maybe better understand our way of interacting with God. The book of Leviticus, really, if you look at it from maybe a zoomed out perspective, the whole book is really about how to interact with the God of the universe. And Jesus, when he came in Matthew 5.17, he said a very interesting statement. He said, do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. And throughout Jesus's ministry on earth, he was constantly poking at the Pharisees. He was poking at the religious leaders of the day, trying to get them to understand that the law is more about the position of your heart than it is about an outward action. And so when Jesus comes and he says, listen, I don't want you to throw the Old Testament away. I don't want you to throw the book of Leviticus away. I want you to understand the heart behind the book of Leviticus and that I have come to fulfill the heartbeat of what God was trying to communicate to you as a people. And when it came to interacting with God, what we're going to do here in just a little while, we're going to interact with God the way that he Uh, essentially asked his people to interact with him were through offerings. And so I want to look at three different types of offerings in the book of Leviticus tonight and talk about how we can apply the heartbeat of those offerings to our life, even today. And the first one, we have a diagram. I'm a diagram guy. Any other science people in here? All right, I was a science major. I was a science teacher before becoming a pastor. I like diagrams. So we have a diagram, and we're going to look at three different offerings. The first offering is the guilt offering. Okay, so in the book of Leviticus, this was an offering uh, that essentially was a mandatory atonement for sin. It was a, it was offered, uh, essentially it involved confession of one's sin and it was meant to have you approach God with an attitude of repentance and realization of the payment of, uh, or realization of payment needed for your sins. In other words, the heart position that God was trying to put you in when he said, I need you to bring this offering was a heart position of need and repentance. God says, listen, my friends, you've messed up and you are not worthy to come into my presence, but I am providing a way for your sins to be atoned temporarily now and someday permanently when Jesus comes to die for you. Okay, so just package that away. We're going to look at the second offering. The second offering is the burnt offering. This offering in the book of Leviticus was a voluntary act of worship. It was an expression of devotion and surrender to the will of God. So the guilt offering said, I repent 
of my way of being, my, my sin, and now I'm going to bring the burnt offering, which means I'm not just repenting of my old sin, but I'm surrendering my future to you as well. You see the difference? The heart position was a heart position of surrender, telling God, you are in charge of my life. And then the last offering I want us to look at tonight is the fellowship offering. And the fellowship offering was a voluntary act of worship that involved thanksgiving. And it actually included a communal meal. And the heart position that I believe God was trying to communicate to his people was that he was not a God of distance, but that he was a God of relationship. And so when Jesus said, I have not come to overthrow all of this, I have come to fulfill all this, we can see that throughout Jesus' ministry, he asks for our repentance, he asks for our surrender, and then he asks to be in relationship with us. Is this making sense? The problem is, is that the Israelites sometimes messed this up, right? Their offerings sometimes got out of whack. And they would offer the wrong things at the wrong time, or they would offer the wrong thing to the wrong place, or sometimes they just wouldn't offer at all. And I think sometimes we have the same thing that happens in our life. God asks for these interactions, and sometimes we go to him, and we're kind of heavy in one interaction with him and light in another interaction with him. We're maybe full of repentance, but that surrender for my future is the difficult part. Or, or we love the relationship that we get to have with God, but the surrender and the, the repentance thing is sometimes a, a difficult thing to, to essentially apply to our lives. And so tonight, I want us to, when we come into the presence of God, I want to challenge us to examine our own lives and to ask ourselves what is happening in my interactions with God? And am I bringing a well-balanced diet into my interactions with him? Because if we don't, our relationships and our journeys with God can get out of whack. I'll explain this a little bit. We have three, uh, kind of three different unbalanced approaches that can get us in trouble tonight that I want us to look at. And the first one is this is when we come to God with a guilt offering, but with no fellowship offering. What do I mean by this? Sometimes we can come to God seeing the regulations and seeing repentance, but we fail to remember that we have relationship with him. What this ends up having happen, the way that you can diagnose this in your life, if every single time you get into the presence of God, you feel, unashamed, you feel ashamed, you feel unworthy, you feel like he's ready to strike you with a lightning bolt, you feel like you're in trouble, you're constantly worried about whether or not Jesus is going to accept you into heaven or not, whether or not you are fit for the service of the kingdom of God, whether or not you have confidence to step out to do his will. Another way to diagnose this is if you kind of feel a little bit legalistic or, or a little bit distance from God. I believe that sometimes we come to God and we kind of feel guilty all the time. But God is saying that, yeah, my friend, I've asked you to repent. We've done that. And now I want you to come into relationship with me. You see, this was a big deal for young Steve when I was growing up. I grew up in a church that, that talked a lot about how guilty we were and talked very little 
about the fact that we had a really good God who wanted relationship with me. And I remember I was at a, a youth camp that I went to, and I don't even remember really how I got there or why I went, but my camp counselor, I was in eighth grade, and he asked me, he said, Steve, if you were to die tomorrow, do you know where you would go? And I'd grown up in church, but my answer that I gave him was like, well, I don't know. I mean, I think God would let me in eventually. I've lived an okay life, but I don't know. I hope he'd let me into heaven. And so I started on this journey, and he tried to explain it to me then, but it, I didn't grasp it. And then fast forward two years, I was at a, uh, a youth conference in, uh, in Seattle, Washington, and there were breakout sessions, much like, you know, at Fall Retreat, you guys had breakout sessions this weekend. And one of the breakout sessions was uh, asking this question you could pick from this list of breakouts, right? And so I was reading through them, and one of them said, are you sure you're going to heaven it's like, no, I'm not, right? Come find out how you can be sure. I was like, okay, here we go. That sounds like a really good one to go to. And I was kind of like, well, obviously everybody's gonna go to that breakout session. This guy's promising a guaranteed ticket to heaven. Hello, right? And there was only like eight other people there and I couldn't figure that out, all right? And the whole session was about this thing that we call the assurance of salvation, that we can have hope in the fact that Jesus, we can have assurance in the fact that Jesus paid it all. And he preached that day on the fact that there is, we can be 100% guaranteed that Jesus actually is going to let us in. When we repent and we believe that Jesus legitimately paid for all of my sins. And I remember sitting there and I had this really big view of God. And I remember sitting there, I'm like, are you kidding me? This is for real? And you know that old song, Jesus paid it all, all to him, what? I owe. All of a sudden, that just clicked and made sense in my brain. It was like, oh, then, then why wouldn't I serve Jesus? Why wouldn't I desire a relationship with this guy? And that day, my life started to change. It was that day that Jesus became the savior of my life. And my friends, if you're here today, and you've been feeling guilty, ashamed, unworthy, in trouble, thinking that you're not fit for the service of the kingdom of God. God wants you to throw off some of that, that, that guilt. He's paid for that guilt. And he wants to give you freedom in this place tonight. And he wants you to find joy in that. And for some of you, when we spend time with Jesus, you're gonna bring a fellowship offering to him this evening. And it might cause you to dance a little bit for the first time ever in the presence of God. That's okay, all right? No one's a worse dancer than Steve. If you wanna dance in here tonight, you can dance in here. If you wanna jump up and down, if dancing kind of looks like this to you, that's called the Midwestern, right? That's what we call that one, right? Sometimes that's as that's as, that's as fellowship as I get tonight, Steve. That's okay. You can branch out in that way. You can have joy. Have joy that Jesus set you free. And it is for freedom that Christ has set you free, my friend. All right, we're going to move on to the next one. The next unbalanced offering. Sometimes we come to God with a guilt offering, but no burnt offering. Remember, the guilt offering was the repentance, right? And the burnt offering was the offering of surrender. When we do this, it's like coming to God, desiring freedom from our guilt, but not willing to surrender our lives to him. 
The way this kind of manifests itself in our lives is that maybe you're here tonight and you're sick of the consequences of your sin. You know that there's sin in your life and you're sick of the consequences of your sin. You hate that bad things happen when your sin catches up to you, but you're not willing to put yourself in a position of total surrender to get rid of that sin in your life. You're here tonight and you've promised God 700 times that I will never, ever do that again. And my friend, Jesus wants to meet you in this place and he might whisper in your ear, hey, if we're gonna get over this, I need you to take some radical steps for me. I need you to take, I need you to lay some things at the altar tonight and surrender some things in my presence. I had this conversation with young men, young men on the campus of UAA all the time. Ah, oh, Steve, I've, I've, been, I've, been, uh, I've been addicted to porn since I was uh, 12 years old, 14 years old, sometimes 10 years old. I've, I've, I've had these problems in my life. And I want to get rid of them. I really, really want to get rid of them. I've promised God 700 times that I wouldn't do it again. I keep slipping back into it. And I say, okay, when are you struggling with your porn addiction? Well, 95% of the time it's at night while I'm lying in bed. I say, okay, okay, where are you looking at porn? Well, I'm looking at porn on my phone. I said, okay, what if we tried this? What if you didn't bring your phone with you into the bedroom? Oh, Steve, I, I mean, I need an alarm clock. And, and I, sometimes at the end of the long day, I need to unwind. And, and, and I, uh, you know, and I, I just, that's kind of how, you know, I kind of unwind by with my phone. And, and I don't know, I'm like, did, and so I say, you know, Walmart sells these $5 alarm clocks, Right? They're super old school. They're retro and really cool, all right? And they're really annoying in the morning. It'll probably help you get up faster anyways. Oh, no, Steve, I, I, just, I just don't think I could do that. The men who say that, oh, I, 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 I want this, and they say, I'm willing to do anything to see this happen. I'm going to lay this down. I'm going to get rid of my smartphone. I'm going to get rid of my laptop. I'm going to let you put a passcode on my phone that I don't even know. I'm willing to go get the help that I need from addiction counseling. I'm willing to go and take the necessary steps that are going to require me to take a big old slice of humble pie that's where freedom lies. If you're here tonight, maybe it's an addiction for you in the area of porn. Maybe it's, I, I felt like as we were worshiping, there was someone here that was dealing with a really uh, nasty anger problem that you're kind of sick of. And the Lord has been asking you to get help with that for a long time. And you keep saying, no, I, I can beat this. I can beat this. I can get over this. I can get over this. My friend, bring a surrender offering to the Lord tonight. Don't just bring your guilt offering, bring your burnt offering to the Lord and say, Lord, I am willing to do anything. I'm willing to get radical. I'm willing to take the necessary steps needed to get rid of this in my life tonight. Amen? It's worth it. It's gonna be worth it. I actually have a, I have a stack of iPhones and iPads in my office, in an office drawer, because back when, not uh, iPads, uh, the um, uh, iPod touches, back when iPod touches were a thing before everybody had smartphones, there's like a stack of iPod touches in my office because guys just say, saying, Steve, I cannot be this. You just got, I just got to get rid of it. Just take it. 
Why? Because they were radical about saying, I'm willing to do whatever it takes. That was that surrender offering. The third and final unbalanced offering that I want to talk about tonight is when we come for a fellowship offering, but we refuse the guilt or burnt offering. In other words, we desire relationship with Jesus, but no desire for true life change. We want all the perks that come with the the walk with Jesus, the joy that comes with the walk with Jesus, the image that comes with the walk with Jesus. But when he starts to do things that we don't necessarily like, we kind of get upset. We want to be in charge. And we think that, yeah, Jesus, I want, I want to walk with you. But as soon as Jesus asks us to go somewhere or to do something, that ah, that's going to pull me out of my comfort zone. Or he asks, or he makes us wait for longer on something than what we would have liked to wait for. We start to get frustrated. We start to get confused. When God is not acting the way that I want him to act, doing what I want him to do, or saying what I want him to say. My friend, that is a twisted view of Christianity. Really, the God of your life is you in that situation. And you just want God to agree with everything in your life. This comes out in such a way where where we start to walk through a trial and instead of having patience and perseverance in that trial, we grow frustrated with God. We start to say things like, God, if you really loved me or if if those promises were really true. And sometimes we confuse our preference with the will of God. And the worship team can come back up. When I was a, a... sophomore in college, my mom got diagnosed with cancer. And my freshman year was like a very significant year for me in college. God had done some like really, really awesome things in me. I mean, it was like the, the Lord grabbed a hold of my life. And I told that story of how uh, the, the Jesus became my savior when I was a sophomore in high school. My freshman year was when Jesus really became my Lord. He got put on the throne room of my life and I was like ready to go for him. I got called into ministry. I got baptized in the Holy Spirit. I started hanging out with all these really cool Chi Alpha guys, i.e. Drew and Tony. And, uh, uh, and I decided that like this was what I was gonna do. And so I had this really awesome year set on fire for Jesus. And at the end of that year, my mom got diagnosed with cancer and she was going to need it was bone marrow cancer and she was going to need a really intensive bone marrow transplant and the doctors were not really sure if this was actually going to work or not and I was sitting in my campus pastor's office he knew he had been journeying with me his name was pastor Brad I think you guys are going to all meet him here in a couple weeks but I was sitting in Brad's office and I was telling him about my mom and he knew that I had just gone on this journey right that I had like I had like come to the Lord with that guilt offering, that offering of repentance. I'd come to the Lord with that surrender offering. And, and I had like been building a relationship with him. And Brad saw the potential for something to derail my journey with Jesus. And he looked at me and he asked me one of the most significant questions I've ever been asked. He said, Steve, are you gonna be mad at God if your mom dies? And I kind of like went like that. I was like, Brad, you're a pastor. You're supposed to have faith. 
you're supposed to be encouraging me right now. That is like a terrible question. Why would you ever say something like that? That is like morbid and terrible. He goes, no, no, Steve, are you gonna be mad at God if your mom dies? I think it's important for you to ask this question of yourself now before you walk into this storm that is gonna be cancer treatment with your mom. And you need to get before the Lord and you need to make a resolution that no matter what happens. No, he says, Steve, I am believing with you. I'm gonna stand beside you in faith that your mom is gonna make it. But you need to make sure that your walk with Jesus is trial-proof through this. And it's a lot easier to do that now than it is to do that once you're walking through the fire. You see, what Brad was saying was he was saying, Steve, I just want to make sure that you haven't been so excited about the fellowship offering that you've been bringing to Jesus, all this fun stuff, exciting stuff that when a storm comes and you're going to be required to sit at the altar and sort through the hard stuff, I want to make sure that your faith and your walk with Jesus is going to be able to survive that. And over the course of my life, there's been many things that have come up I've re-asked that, that same question to myself. Am I going to be mad at God if, if this doesn't work the way I wanted it to work, if this is a total failure, if this doesn't happen in the timing that I wanted it to happen in? And as we were worshiping, I felt like the Lord was saying in here that there was somebody in here that the Lord gave you a promise for something in your life. Maybe it was a while ago. And because of that, you said yes to him. And now you've been waiting for him to be proving himself faithful. And you are expecting that faithfulness from God to already happen, and it hasn't happened yet. And you've been growing more and more frustrated with the Lord. And if that's you tonight, the Lord just wants to remind you that his timing is good, that his will is good, pleasing, and perfect and that he has something to teach you even in the perseverance of the waiting. And I felt like the Lord was saying that if you look at scripture, there were a lot of men and women in the Bible that God asked to wait. And so you are in good company with some really good character. But the Lord wants you to stand firm in that test. He wants you to stand firm in that trial to say, no, I'm gonna, I'm gonna wait on you. I'm not here just for the fellowship. I'm here for the surrender because Jesus, you paid it all and all to you I owe. So tonight, I'd invite you guys to stand with me as we close in prayer. And then we're gonna open up these altar areas. Tonight, if you are part of the first group, you just need to rejoice in some freedom tonight that man, ah, Jesus paid it all. Man, all to him I owe. I'm gonna rejoice in that tonight. I'm gonna ask that you would come forward tonight. Find a spot in order to rejoice in the freedom of the assurance of your salvation through Jesus Christ. If you're here tonight and you need to say yes to something radical, you wanna get rid of the sin in your life, but you have been holding on to something, I want you to come and I want you to lay that at the feet of Jesus tonight. And for some of you, you need to get out from where you're standing. And the first step of doing that radical letting go is just gonna be to posture your body in a way of saying, I'm gonna walk forward and I'm just gonna get on my hands and knees and say, Jesus, take it. Jesus, take it. And if you're here tonight and you say, 
No, I just, I need to surrender in the good and in the bad. I don't want to just rejoice with those. I just don't want to rejoice in the rejoicing, but I want to rejoice even in the morning. I want to know the secret of being content in whatever the circumstance, as Paul writes. And so, Lord, I want, I don't want to just bring you a fellowship offering. I want to bring you every single thing of my life. I want to go full surrender. This has been the LifePoint Church Sermon of the Week. For more resources, visit us at lifepoint.cc.